I think freedom is what humanity is thriving for. Uh, I think, you know, we should have freedom in our societies and freedom is not something that we should bargain for. Hello there, how are you all? How's your week going? The ETH merge is done. What do we think about this? Do we care? Is it important? I think it is. I'm going to be talking to some people very soon about this. I want to cover why proof of work is better than proof of stake and some of the risks that the Ethereum ecosystem has brought to their project by moving to proof of stake definitely is going to wind some people up. But I think this is an important subject. It's an important subject for Bitcoin to understand this. So yes, look out for that. I've got a show I'm going to be making on that in Miami next month. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today's episode is with Ledger's badass CEO, Mr. Pascal Gauthier. Now, I had wanted to catch up with Pascal for a while. We are clearly in a bear market, but I remember back in the 2017-2018 market cycle, during the bear market, there was an article regarding Ledger about how they plan the logistics of a business which is hyper-volatile. So as we were in a bear market, I thought it would be a good time to catch up with Pascal and talk to him about how Ledger prepares for this. So I headed down to Biarritz, the surf and Bitcoin conference in France, to catch up with him on this. But to, you know what? We did cover this. But actually, the more interesting part of the conversation is when we started discussing security. And Pascal brought up some of the risks or, I mean, what felt like a massive risk of hot wallets on mobile phones. Now, listen, this is obviously technically beyond me. So some of you out there might want to check this out. There are some links in the show notes, especially with regards to some of the work that Ledger have been doing to discuss this. So please do go and check that out. If you're a technical person who wants to come on the show and explain this further, get into the weeds on this, please reach out to me, reach out to Danny. We will be very happy to talk to you about this. Okay, this show blew my mind. Love talking to Pascal. I hope you enjoyed. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Apart from that, have a great weekend, and I'll see you all soon. Bonjour, Pascal. Bonjour, Peter. Ça va? Ça va très bien. Bienvenue à Biarritz. Uh, oui. <laughs> D'accord, okay. We can switch to English, uh, if you prefer. What did you say? You enjoy Biarritz? No, bienvenue. Welcome to Biarritz. Oh, welcome to Biarritz. Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't remember much from my French from school. I remember <laughs> um, little things like Je m'appelle Peter. That's right. J'habite would... <laughs> It's a little bit I remember, <laughs> and that was it. Uh, I I think I can get by, in I can get by in a restaurant because it's uh, Je voudrais vin rouge. Ouais, c'est bien. That's du it. vin rouge. Je voudrais du vin rouge. Du vin rouge. Okay. Ouais. Okay. Maybe I should go back. Anyway, man, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, man. Good to see you for the first time, actually. No, we've met before. Ah bon? Yeah, we Maybe. met in Hong Kong. Ah, oh, we did. Yes, that's yes. true. That was um, what, like four years ago now. Wait, okay, well, everything that is pre-pandemic, I you know sort of <laughs> forgot. It was it was a brief meeting, very brief meeting. But like, it's good to do this in person and catch up with you. I've got a whole bunch of things I want to talk to you about. It's uh, it's been a busy time in Bitcoin. It's been a busy time for Ledger. Um, firstly, congratulations on everything the company has done. Um, great team. Love everything Ian's been doing, by the way. Uh, love all the brand work. But the main reason I wanted to talk to you is that I, I, I messaged you about this the other day. I remember in 2017 or 18, either you did an interview or there was an article talking about managing a business with uh, hyper in a hyper-volatile market. And we're now in a bear market and we've seen some companies struggle or some individuals struggling. I thought it would be a good time to get you on and talk about 
your experience with Ledger and what other people can learn from that. Because if you want to build a business in Bitcoin or even crypto, you have to deal with these volatile markets and it can be quite challenging. So how'd yeah, you do it, man? No, definitely. And, you know, it's uh, it's not the first time that it happens, actually. Uh, you know, I think for internet in the early years, it was probably the same where, you know, when you try to build a company, usually, you, you know, you always have the same factors, like you have competition, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, in my previous company, typically we're building in advertising. And so we could count on the advertising market. I mean, it was there, like, and you would take a percentage, maybe you would take 1%, maybe 3%, you could aim at 5 or 10, but it was something that was there and sort of growing. And with Bitcoin, what's different is the other unknown factor when you grow your business is the size of the market. Like you'd never know. And the size of the market today, the size of the market tomorrow, you know, they vary, vary a lot from three trillions, I think it was, to one, and so maybe to 10 next, the next day, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's that, that's a problem for everyone in the industry. It's even more of a problem for Ledger because we're in hardware. And so the problem with hardware is you don't build the hardware overnight. Um, and so if if when the market collapses, let's say the people stop stop buying your product, you know it doesn't change anything to your hardware planning in a way because you you plan hardware like you know the, the way that we plan hardware. We're already thinking about 2025 and 2026. Like you know you're not really planning for the next quarter, you're planning for the next years to come because innovation in hardware, because let's say you want to have your, you know, a ledger technology inside every phone in the future. That's something that you plan now for release in maybe 26 or 27. And so th there is there is a difficulty in, in, in handling a hardware company in the business that goes up and down just because you need to have partners, you need to guarantee uh, supply, et cetera. And if the demand is very volatile, then it's, it's very difficult. So that's, that's really the hard part in, in crypto in general and specifically for Ledger in this market. But I have to say that um, in this bear market, the things are vastly different. And so in the previous bear market, you were mentioning 18, 19, I think two things have happened. Like, you know, the demand really dropped overnight. Like people were like, okay, we're not interested anymore. So they didn't buy our products. And also we fucked it up ourselves. Uh, because we were trying to launch the Nano X and, you know, we we missed the launch in January and then we launched in May, etc. So that was really hard in the company, but it was both the market and us doing it to ourselves as well. Uh, in this bear market, I think first we were much better prepared and, you know, the product is better, like we have the stock, etc., etc. Like we are in market, we're pushing the product and we know what we're doing versus in 18, we didn't really know what we were doing, to be honest. Uh, so Ledger is better and also the market didn't collapse, meaning that the price of Bitcoin isn't everything anymore. Uh, there are many other projects happening everywhere uh, on other things. You know, I know it's not Bitcoin, you know, this is the Bitcoin show, but like, you know, NFT, like it's a big trend and, you know, NFT communities are still sort of booming everywhere and people... If they want to be part of a community, like we're launching with Brick, uh, they're going to do their first drop on Ledger Market uh, in two weeks. Uh, this is a great community in LA. You know, it's around you know music, events, etc. If you want to be part of that community, you need to get the NFT, and so that's not stopping. Um, and so as a result, we've seen uh, year on year uh, better demand in H1 this year than H1 last year. Right, higher demand, like two digits, too, like you know between 15 and 50 percent, depending on the months. What were the key things like happened in 2018, 2019, which helped you prepare for this? Because um, I, I remember reading one of the main issues with the logistics around you know, you're building a device, you actually have to supply mm -hmm. a product. And so the logistics around 
supply chains and managing those through a volatile market was what was the biggest challenge you faced? What was the biggest lesson you took from that to how you plan your business now? Um, <clears throat> so you're correct. I mean, uh, the, the supply chain is, is very difficult to, to manage. Uh, one of the lessons were that we need to, to have like a, a more robust supply chain in terms of the choices of the partners. Like who you work with in hardware is everything. Um, and like in every market, like you got the, the, the A-list and then you got, you know, everybody else. And so in this market, you know, Foxconn is who you want to work with, you know, Flextronics. There are big guys out there that can help you build hardware at scale uh, that are the one that you need to work to. And so for us, it was a big wake-up call to go from amateur hour or, you know, like, you know, we're the little guys in the garage to, okay, well, now how, do the, how do the big boys do it, et cetera. So what, what we've done is we scaled our hardware organization. Uh, we brought advisors, we brought people, et cetera, of people that have been there, done that. And so there are a bunch of people that work at Ledger now that were at Apple before. And so, you know, because again, why not recruit from the best? You know, Apple is the best hardware company in the world right now, has been for the past, I don't know, uh, 20 years maybe. Uh, at least 15 or 10 for sure. Uh, and so uh, some of, most of our advisors actually come from Apple. Uh, most of the guys that are now running hardware at Ledger come from Apple, et cetera. And so you recruit the best, uh, they build the best partnerships. And um, and this was the lessons like, okay, so because you know at some point, yeah, either you go big or you go home. You know, that sentence is very true. And so we decided to go big. You went big, okay. Um, it must be difficult though managing uh, the supply chain in terms of stock. So I know obviously everything's a derivative of Bitcoin. My show downloads are a derivative of Bitcoin. I'm sure supply, even though it's kept during the bear market, there are certain periods where you've got peak demand. How do you manage that in terms of stock? Do you have to have a very flexible, almost like a flexible load? I'm thinking almost like the conversations I've had recently with the energy companies. Do you have to have a flexible load that allows you to deal with massive changes in demand? Yeah, you do. So what you do with stock is um, stock is a big issue, you know, because of uh, the, 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 just the simple supply and demand issue. Like, you know, uh, you need to have stock to just you know ship the products, but also from a cash perspective, because stock is cash. You know, if you if you build stocks that are too big and you don't sell your products, then you've extended yourself with your cash. And you can sort of die in good health, you know, because it's completely different. Like the way that you run the company and the and the money that you put towards your stock, like are two different things. I mean, Ledger could do very well in terms of a business, but if we invest two hundred million in stock, then you know we have no money on the on the bank account, and you can understand very easy, easily that that we die quickly. So. <clears throat> In, in a volatile market, I have to say, it's not really science, it's art, because nobody does what we do in hardware in general. Like, you know, people have, again, like, you know, better ways of projecting the business. And they are uh, a better way of projecting the business because usually they deliver like a watch or like a product that exists in the market. But don't get me wrong, though, like in most hardware companies die. Like, you know, hardware companies like actually die very frequently, you know, people and, you know, and, and the hardware business is very difficult. When you go raise money to VCs and saying like you're in hardware, like usually it's the black mark of uh, of this business. It's like oh you're in hardware, that's great. Like you know, and then you know this is the door and see you later. So hardware businesses are very hard in general, and hardware business in in crypto are even harder. And this is why you see that you don't have many companies actually doing it. You have a lot of companies that are subscale, um, and 
I'm saying it because it's true. Like, you know, it's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to brag that Ledger is the best or whatever, but it's true that if you look at most of the hardware companies in the business, they really subscale. And why? Because it's very hard to scale. Like, how do you ship your product? How do you build an e-commerce platform? How do you build, like, you know, this supply chain that can, like, where you can build millions of devices? Because there's, there's one thing to do, you know, 10,000s of devices. There's one thing to do a million devices, but there's another game to do 10 million or 100 million. And so the problem is, if you're trying to build a, a real consumer business, my game is how do I go from two to three million devices a year to 30 million devices a year? That's why that that's that's what I'm trying to do and, and, and getting the company ready for. And so that's 30 million a year is very different from three. But, the, but there are stages. And so we, we discussed what was bad, but I can tell you what's good too. Like, you know, what's good was the crypto, what was good was the crypto market for Ledger is actually it took time. And so, uh, uh, you know, some people say, you know, people think that in business you only need to go fast, fast, fast. But, you know, for security, actually, you need sort of to go slower because you, you can't be wrong. Like you have to be almost close to 100 percent right all the time. Uh, and so the fact that the market didn't grow so fast, you know, from 14 to 17 was actually really good time to do R&D. And during those years at Ledger, we never like the question was always like, is even is this even relevant? Like we didn't know. Like we almost killed, you know, doing hardware wallets. You know, every year at every board meeting, it was like, should we still do a hardware wallet or should we move on to to do something different? Um, but but that time was actually the you know a gift because we had time to do R and D, etc. So it's stressful when you when you do it because like oh do we have a business? But when we kicked off in seventeen, we had the Nano S. It was a very solid product. It had been battle tested quietly for during all these uh, months, uh, let's say, or years, because the Nano S was a result of many R&D projects that we did before. Uh, and, I, and then the Nano X, you know, was, was an evolution of, of the Nano S, but all of this was, you know, very strong, battle-tested, et cetera, which is why you have five million devices in the wild right now, and Ledger has never been hacked. And so the fact that the market is slow and sometimes slows down, for us, it's actually good uh, because then we can go back into product mode, R&D, develop something, et cetera. If the market moves too fast, security doesn't really have time to catch up and then it becomes a problem. I've actually, I'm still using my Nano S I bought, I think it was around, it was early 2017. Correct. I, actually, I still have that device and I still use that one. Yeah. It's still, it's stood the test of time. I mean, if you're Bitcoin only, I mean, you don't need anything else but an NOS. Well, I, I do actually because I'm multi-sig now, so I have to have a, a range of uh, yeah, okay, to to de-risk. But so, so do you have additional complications that you have to think about with regards to security that other hardware companies don't? In that, I know other hardware companies uh, can be you know face issues of hacking or hackers, but you also have to think about the man in the middle attacks within the supply chain. So you have you have a whole bunch of other stuff you have to think about. In terms of securing our supply chain, you yeah. mean? Yeah, well, you just have to secure the device, the supply chain. There's so many additional things you have to secure. Yes, but the way that we design our security scheme is like we don't need to worry about uh, things as much as the other. Uh, because the way that we design our secure element, the way that our operating system is poured into it, etc., only us control that. And so in reality, we can build our devices anywhere in the world. Like, So we don't have supply chain attacks the way that other manufacturers could have. Because it's true that if you put your hands on a, 
on other type of devices, you could you 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 could just build fake devices or put like a backdoor into them, you know, fairly easily, which is not the case with with, with Ledger. And we say it, but you, we can also actually prove it. You know, as soon as you connect your Ledger, you can do a genuine check, etc. So to to make sure that uh, the the device hasn't been tampered with. Um, so so. This is a fundamental difference, actually, between us and some of the, the other players in the industry. We can build at scale because we can build anywhere in the world, where other players have to keep a really tight control over the supply chain because of those type of attacks, like the supply chain attacks, where you could inject something wrong in the device. Like, we don't have that problem, which is why we can manufacture in Vietnam, in China, in Poland, in Mexico, I mean, wherever we want to, to manufacture. And actually, if you think about long term, like... Because this is possible, then it becomes scalable. If right. it was not possible, it's not scalable, and then you know you you can never uh, do mass market. Because the the thing is, as soon as you have, what we do in crypto is we have customers everywhere in the world day one, and for us it's very natural. But for any other business in the world, it never happens like that. We've shipped one product in every country in the world, at least one product in every country in the world, like every wow. every country in the world. And so if you think about any other business, that's not true. Like nobody does that. And, and we shipped ourselves. Like, you know, we didn't have like a third party shipping for us or like some distributor in, a, in Kazakhstan or whatever. No, no, we ship directly into. And so that's uncommon and that's very difficult. Uh, and, uh, and that's something that usually e-commerce companies don't do. But, but we have to do it because it's crypto and because everyone is doing Bitcoin everywhere in the world. And so... With, the, with everything you learned from 2017, 18, 19, and I guess a lot of your time was on the kind of day-to-day -day logistics and operations, the company's now at a stage where you're actually thinking multiple years ahead and you're planning for, I mean, did you just say 30 million devices? Yes, I mean, tens so you, of millions, yes. So you, you have to kind of project where you think the market is going over the next few years to, to build into that. And I guess that even also comes with some risk itself. If you predict 30 million and the market's 20 million. No, but I mean, 30 million is just a, an order of magnitude. Yeah. It's just like I know that I need to have like some kind of uh, uh, optionality to go. And, and so the optionality is like the kind of partnerships that you have. Like, you know, that if you do a partnership with, uh, with a manufacturer that, you know, can only build 2 million a year, but okay, so you know your optionality is 2 million. If you do a partnership with a manufacturer that can build like hundreds of millions of devices a year, like Foxconn, then you know you have bigger optionality. So I'm just trying to build my business so I have the optionalities. And then we'll see what the, what the, what the result is. And also we, maybe it's 30, but maybe it's 100, or maybe it's billions of devices. I mean, you know, if you think that... One day, every phone on the planet, every smartphone on the planet could be shipped with some ledger technology inside. Like, you know, we're talking billions of devices, et cetera. And so that's, that's a whole different game because you would still have like ledger hardware into, into phones. That's not impossible. That's actually a, a strong possibility that this will happen in the near future. So is that something you're looking into then? Yeah, we always said it, you know, quite openly. I think, you know, the external device, the way that we've designed it, like it's a, it's an, I would call it like a necessary evil. And don't get me wrong, I think the product is great, it works super great, but people always feel that, you know, for mass adoption, people always feel that, you know, why should I have a, like a, a secondary device? 
I would actually argue to say, well, you do have a wallet and a phone. So you actually have two devices. And what Ledger is trying to do with the, the nano and, and, the, and, 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 and our products today, and like what we call a hardware wallet, is just to replace your wallet. So what, iPhone, uh, what Apple did to your phone and designed the iPhone, we're going to do it to your wallet, and soon your wallet will be a Ledger. If you look into your pocket, I'm sure you have a wallet. And it's, over, it's over there, actually. It's over there, but you do have a wallet. Yeah. Everyone has a wallet. And why is the wallet still like, you know, non-technical? Like it's it's weird that the wallet is still like, you know, these pieces of metal, leather yeah. and cards <laughs> and tickets, etc. All of this should be dematerialized and that should be in your ledger. And if you think about it, like, you know, what you want your digital wallet to be is very different from your phone. Your phone, you watch movies, you play video games, etc. You know, the battery is very, uh, it's a short time. Like, you know, maybe you have it for one day or sometimes half a day, depending on your usage, et cetera. When you wallet, you want it to be on all the time. Like you don't want to be in a situation where you need to pay or need to do that transaction and your wallet says, sorry, no battery. So we think these are two very different problems. However, uh, we also feel that, so so that's that's good and well, and that's going to stay, I think. So the external device that's going to be your wallet and that's going to, that's going to be your ledger. However, you know, in your ledger, you will have everything that is important to you in terms of your digital self. Like, you know, you're going to have your Bitcoin, you're going to have eventually at some point your identity, your health data, et cetera, everything that is digitally critically important to you and that you really want to secure. And so the ability to have this ported into several devices, because sometimes you want it in your phone, sometimes you want it in your wallet, et cetera, I think that's going to be important. So we're catering for these two futures where maybe you're going to have Ledger inside your phone and Ledger will be your wallet. Well, so I, I do have my wallet with me, but I have noticed recently I don't always take my wallet out these days because since yeah, you have the ability to pay with your phone, that was a big game changer. I have to bring my wallet here because I needed my identity for renting exactly. a car. So I had to have my driver's license. Exactly. There's little little things like that and, and there's someone to put receipts, <laughs> yeah. which I have to carry around still, still get printed receipts from some places. But uh, But that kind of like that future of not having a wallet, I think it is getting closer. Well, you know, either it's a future of not having a wallet, which is why we're catering for two futures, because nobody can exactly predict yeah. the future. And this is why we have these two streams. I still argue that the reason that you don't use your wallet is because it's non-technical and it's shit compared to your phone. Your phone is a better delivery mechanism for all those things that you just described. Now, I would say that every time I'm traveling with my phone and I need to flash my uh, plane ticket or I need to do something, I'm always worrying about the battery. And the thing is okay, you're traveling and so you're watching a movie, you're reading a book, like you're doing everything with your phone. But the thing is like it's consuming your battery and at some point you need to be doing something very important and you're always managing your battery in your head. You're like, oh shit, I only have 30%. I'm, you know, now I'm going to stop watching movies or... And, to, uh, and, and that's not good for the future. Like, you know, the future can't happen like this. Uh, and also, you know, one thing that is fundamentally true right now is like your phone is not secure. And so the problem becomes... Sure, it's easier to have everything in your phone, but like, what if everything gets stolen? So before you say, oh, but it's just my email, like, you know, like, like stuff that is annoying, but like not life-changing. Now, if I take all of your Bitcoins from you, like how, how, is, how, how is that life-changing for you? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be pretty pissed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so your identity, you know, all of the things that's going to create your digital self, you know, people talk about the metaverse, but the metaverse is just you having a digital self that you control. Right now, you control your body, I mean, as much as you can, but like we all control our body. We are, you know, physical beings. But what is our digital being today? Your digital being is mostly your Bitcoins yeah. because that you own. 
And then we don't own much else. Like everything is Google, Apple, et cetera. In the future, you own everything on your ledger and then you distribute the right for others to use. That's what Web3 decentralization, metaverse, that's what people are talking about. It's like, I've got my digital self and I can port it into different online experiences or offline experiences. If I've got that NFT to get to that surfing Bitcoin party tonight, I can enter. But that's my digital self that is being ported into the physical world to give me access to an experience. This show is brought to you by Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you as a Bitcoiner to take control of your Bitcoin and the world's most popular hardware while it just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of the new Nano S+. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to check this out, if you want to purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot dot com. Next up, it is Big Casino. So they are now running a very cool competition where you can join me at the North London Derby, Arsenal v Tottenham, hopefully to see Arsenal absolutely spank Tottenham. Now they have created a Bitcoin box at the Emirates Stadium and they're going to be giving away two tickets to the match. It's on October the 1st and to find out how to enter, just check out their pinned tweet at twitter.com forward slash bitcasinoio. That is twitter.com forward slash b-i-t-c-a-s-i-n-o-i-o. Also, please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. With the recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only Ledin are a sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. I am using their services. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D. N.io. And also today we have the Pacific Bitcoin Conference hosted by Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and 11th, 2022 in sunny Los Angeles. Now I've known Corey, Yan and Brady for years and they've been pulling out all the stops to make the Pacific Bitcoin Conference a celebration of the Bitcoin community. I'm going to be emceeing the conference alongside my friends Natalie Brunel and Stefan Rivera and there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers, including Lynn Alden, Alex Glastine, and Preston Pish. Now, Pacific Bitcoin is going to be the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences. They've got a surfing simulator and loaded with other events and parties before and after the event. They're bringing the brightest minds in Bitcoin to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation estate adoption, mining, and lightning. And you're not going to want to miss this inaugural Pacific Bitcoin conference. I know it's going to be a special event. Now, Swan are offering a huge 30% discount to listeners of the show. Just go to pacificbitcoin.com and use the code PETER at checkout. That is P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N.com and use the code PETER. Um, you mentioned there about the security of phones. So how much time do you guys spend looking at the security of other devices and, and 
Yeah, how poor is the security on phones then? So we spend a lot of time looking at security of everything because we have an attack lab internally. It's called the Dungeon. Yeah. Um, they publish every everything that we find. So, so we're not trying to be annoying. We're trying to raise the bar of security for everyone in the market. So when we break something, usually we do something that's called responsible disclosure. So mm-hmm. we reach out to the team. We say, hey, you know, this is the flow that we found and we can help you patch it. And so once it's all patched and, you know, uh, up, um, upgraded on, on devices, then we release the, the, the attack and we say, okay, this is what we found, but there has been patches. So it's all documented on the Dungeon website, et cetera. We do actually have... Uh, I think it's 20 white hats right now and we're going to, to 30. So we have like the biggest and more advanced attack lab when it comes to Bitcoin, crypto, Web3, I mean, you name it. Um, we were presenting at Black Hat uh, the other week in, in Las Vegas. We presented again this year two papers. And so presenting at Black Hat, one paper is difficult. Uh, two papers is uh, very difficult. And we've done that like every year uh, since we built the dungeon. That, that's, um, that's a significant investment in that team then, right? Oh, yeah. What is, what is the reason to do it? Is it responsibility of a business? A bit like how maybe some companies... Um, will sponsor developers within the Bitcoin space. Is this like considered a, a responsible thing within hardware? No, but I've got a duty to my. We have a duty to our customers, like you know, and they want to be safe with us. This is what we say, and so we have to deliver it. So for me, it's like a necessary part of the business. You can't run a security company if you don't have an attack lab, <laughs> you know. Right. Period, and you need to. Because security is cat and mouse, like people will attack and so you need to defend. But in order to defend, you need to attack yourself to see, you know, how to, how to get in and what to do, etc. And you need to have the best guys on your side. The other guys are good, very good. And actually, people that will be attacking Bitcoin and, and, and crypto and, and users in general are, are just not like kids in a garage. They're also rogue states. Like North Korea, like, you know, they've done like many hacks in the past and, you know, this is how they finance some of their activities terrorist organization, et cetera. So some guys that are like top level in terms of technology and, you know, they have time, resources, et cetera. That's, that's all that they do. When the Ukrainian-Russian war happened, some of those hacker groups uh, where they had both Ukrainian and Russian started to sort of tell on each other. And so you could discover like the magnitude of their organizations. I can't remember the name of that organization, but, but the dungeon presented, presented this to me the other day. Those guys are 2,500 employees. It's, it's a hacker organization. 2,500 employees and 10,000 auxiliaries. So you have 2,500. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. 2,500 guys that wake up every morning thinking, okay, like who am I going to hack today? <laughs> like what data I'm going to steal, Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. 2,500, which is why you see when, um, when a domain is under attack or, you know, sometimes ledger users, et cetera, it feels fucking relentless yep. like, you know people are coming after you every day and they're good and they move fast etc and you're thinking wow like two kids in the garage and you're like well i guess not it's 2500 people so they have an organization they have like roadmaps like you know they do the same that we do but to steal your money or your data so that's that's what's happening right now and when it comes to phones yes it's insecure phones and computers have not been built for security but it's cer- certainly not crypto security the private key is a new problem uh, the private key for Bitcoin is a new problem. Actually, that problem was solved by the banks with the chip and pin technology on your credit card because, you know, before the magnetic band didn't work in terms of security, but the chip and pin is better. And so that's what we have in the ledger. It's actually the chip and pin that you have in credit card, except that before it was protecting your bank secrets and now it's protecting your secrets. 
But the, your phone, your iPhone, is not being protected to 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 protect any secrets. And furthermore, you can even argue that uh, there is a whole hardware and firmware industry that never quite looked at it because everyone had an interest for this to be slightly open. Right. Governments, governmental agencies, they actually like the fact that they can look into your phone from time to time. Uh, there is a market for it. It's called Zero Days Exploits. And now it's Zero Days Zero Click with Pegasus that happened last summer. Uh, do you know what it is? No, I, I've heard of Zero Days, but not Zero Days Zero Click. So Zero Days Zero Click. So before Zero Days, like, you know, there is, a, so basically you, you get in the phone through the firmware because there is a crack in the firmware and this is where you get in. And so everything that sits on top of the firmware, all the apps, et cetera, then becomes accessible. So this is why when you have a software wallet on your phone, your private keys through the firmware, anyone can see them. And so if someone comes with zero day into your phone, your private keys are as good as gone. Right. Like 30 seconds. And actually we documented it with a dungeon. It's online. You can check, uh, it's called like a, a software wallet attack dungeon ledger. You type that and you'll, you'll see how we can extract the private keys from your phone or your computer in less than 30 seconds. Only, the only thing it takes is to, to put a malware on your phone and then boom, it's done. So that's zero day. Zero days, zero click is, uh, well, zero days, zero click is I get access to your phone. And, and so before you had to do an action. So zero day is like I get into your phone, but I need you to click on a banner or I need you to open an app or I need you to do something. Zero days, zero click is give me your phone number and then I can access your phone. What? Yes, yes, yes. Just with a phone number? Mm -hmm. Hold on. Is that like what happened with the, I can't remember the name of the group. Was it, were they an Israeli group? They, yes, yes. Yeah they would send a text message and the text message gave them access. Yes. Has that been patched? Uh, no. So most, of, most of the, so zero days and zero click exploits, there is a market. You can, there are brokers. You can actually Google it yourself, go online and you can buy it. So the, the most expensive is $2 million. Uh, and there are a range of prices uh, to, to get access to, because it depends on the phone model, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the uh, operating system that is onto it, et cetera. But you have uh, you know, prices from, I don't know how much, to uh, all the way up to $2 million. So are all our phones essentially exposed right now? Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, Apple just patched two zero-day exploits last week. They were like, oh, we found the patch now. I'm like, but it's been open for... However long. Okay, but they're they're were they zero day zero click ones? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe these ones were, but uh, but the point is the zero day market like is not disappearing anytime soon. Like you know, yeah, there are multiple ways. So the the problem with a phone is this, uh, and it's a very easy way to explain it. All right, so we have a billion dollar in gold bars, and mm -hmm. you're in charge of security. And so this is physical, right? And so I tell you, Peter. I want you to take that building and secure the gold. You say, okay, I'll do it. And say, wait, wait, I want on the rooftop also to have a nightclub. Uh, I want to have a shopping mall on floor one and two. Uh, and I want to have a, you know, a, <laughs> a kid center on, on floor five. I'm like, you go do it. So what's going to be your reaction? Well, I mean, it's kind of like, hold on. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Let me just, I, I get, I get your, your analogy. You're basically saying separate this uh, story of your Bitcoin from your phone. Because yes. your, phone, your phone is going to do all these different things. You know, you're going to be texting, videos, Apple TV, Spotify, and every one of those can be exposed. Correct. Let's not put your Bitcoin Correct. in there. Because, because the actor, as, 
when you do multiple things like this, everything is an attack vector. It's like, oh, you know, your Netflix could be become something. Like, you know, you can, it's just like having a, a building with too many windows, too many doors, et cetera. And people are like, well, I'm going to go in like this or, or like that, et cetera. So to the example, f- security, digital security is physical. So when you see a, a secure element and you look at it with a microscope, it looks like a little city it has like, you know, it's, it's hardware. So it's like physical defense. So, so the example of like, how do you secure gold in the building is very similar to how do you secure your Bitcoin in a, in a phone or in a, in a, in a, on a device. If you want the device to do too many things, like the nightclub, et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, this is, people were getting through the nightclub and suddenly it's like, oh shit, like those guys, they came through the nightclub and they stole, uh, they stole the gold. And so, which is why, you know, the nano, S and then Nano X, like you see, they do, they only do very few things. Like, you know, you validate transactions, that's it. You have a secure screen and a validator. That's all, that's all it does. You don't have a snake, you don't play video games, like you don't have anything else because, because this is how you do the best security. It's like you get something to do something very minimal, which is why back to our conversation of, are we going to be your new wallet or are we going to be in the phone? Like, you know, it's very difficult to predict the future because also in terms of security, if you start to put ledger in a phone, then you start to have like attack vectors that are coming from everywhere. And so how do you secure? And usually the way, the only way that you can secure is the your kill switch where suddenly you got your phone, you kill the phone thing, you switch to hardware wallet and suddenly you have a phone that only does like minimal things, just like the hardware wallet things. I, I would have thought some people who are, who the companies who are creating software wallets won't like this. Because you're essentially, what you're saying to me here really is, is that any Bitcoin you're holding in a software wallet on your phone is at risk. As good as gone, yes. Ask them. As good as gone. As good as gone. As soon as you download, I mean, it only takes you to download an app with a malware on it. Voilà. That's all it takes. I mean, it's not a very difficult hack. And by the way, you can quote me on this in two years, it will happen at scale. Right now, it hasn't happened at scale. Has, has, has a hack actually happened? Because what I'm thinking, there are there are... I'm not going to name them for, for now, but I can think of a number of software wallets, like Bitcoin software wallets that exist in the market, successful companies, because you're basically saying anyone who's holding Bitcoin in those wallets on their phone, you're saying it's as good as gone if someone wants to get it. Yes. And so there are two things. A, well, hold on, why isn't this being actively discussed publicly? Well, because we're saying it, but nobody cares. Huh. Attends, so two things. First... If you are on a software wallet today and you're actively targeted, like you, yes. So you are, your risk is maximum, because the way I can access you either with a SIM swap or target specifically your phone if I get your phone number, which is not very difficult to find, etc. Nope, voilà. So if you get your private keys on your phone, honestly, you know your percentage of chance that it's going to be gone anytime soon is close, closer to a hundred than to zero. Now, if you're, if people don't know you, don't know that you have Bitcoin, etc. Okay, your percentage sort of decreases, but um, uh, there are potential attacks that are coming in the future where malware will be deployed at scale through uh, the app stores of Apple and, and, and Google, and they have no control over this. So malware will be deployed at scale, and so people will just deploy malware on any phone that download uh, 
app A, B, C, or D, or whatever, and suddenly they will wipe out all the devices. And you know, they will just search in any device, like what do you have? They will try to see if they're private keys, and if they find, they will extract them. This is an attack that we've documented with the dungeon. It's online, it's published. Like we, I'll send you the link. Yeah, we, please do. But we've, we've showed it. And so when you ask like software manufacturers, they're like, well, you know, like it hasn't happened yet. Like it's a, it's, it's a more difficult attack, et cetera. And so the question is like, why hasn't it happened yet? And so the answer is because there are easier ways to steal your money. I mean, phishing is uh, very cheap and, uh, and, and very easy to, to steal money with phishing. And so, and also there are bigger fishes to fry, like for, for hackers, there are other things, uh, not just Bitcoin in the world that, that bring them a lot of money. And so right now you don't have like 100% full force of hackers focused on this, but if we go back to 3 trillion, 4, 5, 10, 100, so we, we're catering for the, the next five years or the next 10 years, right? In 10 years, yeah, of course, these attacks will, will happen at scale. And so anyone who's on MetaMask or like, you know, any software wallet right now that is on the phone, they're, risk, they're, they're risking to lose their phones every day. Okay, so, in, so MetaMask itself is also entirely at risk. Oh, yeah. Huh. You need to pair the, your MetaMask with a ledger or with some form of like hardware security. Otherwise, MetaMask only on your computer, on your phone, it's a risk. They know it. Everybody knows it. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's documented. Yeah, I just I'm just I'm surprised I've not heard about it or why people aren't talking about this a bit more because uh, so many people are using. So I mean, I have a, a software wallet, but I keep a small amount of Bitcoin on there, like sometimes less than twenty. 20 pounds just like if I need it it's like if yeah. I meet somebody they haven't got Bitcoin I'm like download a wallet let me show you but that's an acceptable risk right, right? like if yeah. you lose 20 pounds of Bitcoin okay yeah it's like keeping 20 pound node yeah. in my wallet it's exactly. like it's an acceptable risk but and also you have that convenience of being able to pay like I have with Apple Correct. Pay but that I would do like you know if you got like 500 pounds that you want to keep on a software wallet okay there is a risk but like when you walk in the street with 500 pounds in your pocket there is a risk not 500,000 yeah, but would you work with 500,000, you know, 500 pounds, uh, 5,000 pounds or 50,000 no. pounds or, you know, like you, you don't. I don't, I don't, I mean, generally speaking, less, always less than a few hundred and, and very often less than 50 and yeah. So, so this is it. Like, you know, I think you should have the same, you should treat your software wallet as a wallet that you have in your pocket when you walk in the street and, uh, and if people like, you know, uh, you know, look into your pocket, they take it from you. Like this is exactly as easy as that with the software wallet. Do we know if this is the same risk with Lightning? Or is no, it... Lightning is a different yeah. uh, threat model. Yeah, so um, from what with I'm With Lightning, about, you don't have your private keys. You don't have keys. private keys, yeah. but I'm one, so in some ways, if I'm only using Lightning on my phone, I'm a, it's kind of de-risks it as compared to having like base chain Bitcoin. Yeah, correct. But Lightning is, you know, Lightning right now is not really to transfer like, you know, $500,000 in Bitcoin. Like it's more like for the small transactions. So we get back to, if it's small, it's okay. And, you know, software wallets are are fine because they're easy to use, et cetera. But as soon as you have value that you don't want to lose, you can't trust a software wallet to do a good job uh, securing it for you. Can hardware wallets support Lightning? Uh, In our current form, not really. In future forms, yes. Is that, is that, in the roadmap, are you planning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know how far away we are from that? Because that's one of the things that uh, I would love to have as part of you know, my ledger is the ability to use Lightning with it. We are between a year and two years away from this. A year and two years away from it. All right, man. I'll hold you to that. All right. Well, that's definitely something I'm going to have to speak to some people about and ask questions about why that's not been discussing because it's kind of irresponsible for it not to be out there. You know, we're exposing people to risk. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll send you, send me I mean, a I'll just send you, there is one page, I'll send it to you. You'll see, we documented with videos, so you'll play the videos and you'll see what we can do. So you've actually swept the Bitcoin from yes. Huh. I also want to check out these uh, marketplaces for zero-day exploits. That's kind of, yes. is it like dark market stuff? No, no, no. It's uh, it's all public. It's all legit. It's all legal. Like, you know, this this is the, this is the business. Everybody wants to, you know, sort of look under the hood. There is actually the uh, IRS in the US that have uh, that has a bounty program, I think, or I don't know how they spin it, but they have a bounty program to try to open the ledger. <laughs> <laughs> because still not been done. No, it's still not done. And and by the way, you know, I, we we hope that if they ever ever find like a way in, they let us know so we can patch it. Um, but um, but but so far, um, no one has never found a way in. But 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 to tell you that you know legit organiz I mean the IRS is a legit organization. People should pay taxes, and you know I'm fine with that. Uh, but they're looking ways into systems and technology, etc., to extract what they need to extract when they need to extract it. You know that's the game. I want to talk to you about another subject as well. Now uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about freedom. Um, you supported the ledger. Uh, you supported the truckers out in Canada, and when I. Um, said I was going to give a bunch of devices away and then you guys came and said, we'll just give you them, which by the way, thank you very much. The, everyone really appreciated that. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is you're a business and you know, regulated business. You operate within the structure of uh, the law we're here within France and you know, globally, but also the, you're at the same time, you're a business that uh, offers people the opportunity to be self-sovereign and you know, take control of their money. And sometimes you people would say, argue, oh, kind of route around government. So how do you square that? So how do you walk that fine line? Well, first, by, by thinking there is no fine line. Okay. You know, uh, I think we, I think freedom is uh, what humanity is thriving for. Uh, I think, you know, we should have freedom in our societies and freedom is not something that we should bargain for. And so if I want to be free, like, you know, I want to be in, I'm in, in a situation where, I'm not guilty until proven uh, otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, I want to live my life freely and do what I want with my money. And so, because I'm not a terrorist, I'm not a drug dealer, like, you know, I'm a law-abiding citizen. And so therefore, I don't see why I should have control, people overseeing, you know, my moves and everything that I do. And so, but we lost sight of this a little bit in, in, the, in the past because our freedom has been taken away, you know, bit by bit, because or thanks to technology, you know, te technology has uh, has helped sort of uh, governments, regulators, etc., to take, and and also because of this greater good uh, theory. It's like, oh, but you know, we we're gonna check if you're not a drug dealer or a terrorist every time you do something with your money because it's for the greater good. You understand? Like we're trying to catch the drug dealers and the terrorists. And I'm like, you know, at some point, the greater good is just bad. You know, uh, the greater good is bad for the individual and is bad for bad for individual freedoms. But we are being pushed into that narrative. So now we feel like, oh, shit, if I'm going to do something on my own, like, am I being subversive? Am I being like, you know, anti-government, et cetera? I'm not being anti-government. I think, you know, governments do what they have to do. And and for, for a large part, they do they do well. But equally, I think individual freedom is everything. And so uh, me, I think that... What we're trying to do with Ledger is to give technology to people to be free. Technology that's been put in the hands of people up until now 
doesn't really free them. You know, you capture them and put them into environment that are controlled by very, very few people, like an oligarchy that sort of decides. And for me, when I enter into crypto in general, I was thinking, I'm sort of done with the uh, Steve Jobs, Zuckerberg model where these guys decide for me what's good for me. You know, what, what is good to put on, on Facebook? Like, you know, I remember on Facebook, there was this thing where this picture of the Vietnam War with the the, the little girl with... Uh, Running away from the napalm bomb. From the napalm bomb. Yeah. yeah. It was classified as uh, child pornography by Facebook. Right. I was like, what the fuck? One of the most that? famous photos ever yeah, taken. Ever taken. And how yeah. is that child pornography? Algorithm. No, no, no. It's not algorithm. No, 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 no. It's decision. People made decisions. Uh, algorithms are, you know, designed by people, etc. And actually, when Facebook got told about this, like, it took them for fucking ages to recognize, like, oh, okay, maybe it's not child pornography. And actually, you know, if you know how face, uh, Facebook work and Meta, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I mean, you know, it's really top-down organization. Some people decide, etc. Why can't you download? Uh, why don't you have like porn into your uh, iOS, uh, into your Apple App Store? Why not? You know, Steve Jobs hates porn. Yeah, hated porn. He said it though. He's. I, th I remember him specifically saying that he doesn't want the Apple device to be used for porn. Yes, and I'm thinking that's why I don't have like an iPhone. That's why I don't just for that. Like this is why I don't run on on iPhone because I'm like. By the way, I don't have any porn on my phone. Like I don't care. Like, you know, but it's, but it's, it's not, freedom. But it's not the point. Like you know, if someone wants it, like why would Steve Jobs decide that you know it's not good for them? Like you know, I you know I hate that mentality, and it's all that we've seen with Web two is like super centralization. Like you know, with like big corporations that decide on everything, and they become so powerful that we you become powerless, and they take away your freedom. Like you know, try to negotiate with Google. I mean, you know, good luck on you know as an individual, even as a company. Like you know, it's uh, it's it's very difficult. Uh, you know, we're still banned from buying ads from Google. You are because what you're a Bitcoin company, crypto company. I don't know. Like you know, it makes no sense. Like because we're not regulated. They say like because you guys are not regulated. And I'm like, yes, because we are we're technologies, like phones are not regulated. So hardware wallets are not regulated. Yes, but you need regulation to be able to, I mean, you know, it's it's just a nonsense. But my point is like, they get to decide, they become too powerful, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think what's happening with crypto in general is super interesting. It's back to decentralization. It's back to, you know, the web one early days of, you know, freedom and emancipation, et cetera, et cetera, that got taken away from us Willingly, by the way, because, you know, I'm not just saying that there are evil forces at play. I'm just saying that people go where it's easier. And so people become also lazy. So it's convenient. also, it's convenience. And so also for us now to battle ourselves and to be like, okay, well, I will sacrifice a little convenience for more freedom, you know, maybe something like that. And or what we're trying to do really is to give you the same convenience, but with freedom. And so that's what Ledger is striving for. This is why we say security and ease of use. Ease of use will be your convenience and security will be your freedom. Um, and so I think that's what's happening, you know, decentralization, Bitcoin, you know, having the ability to participate in a public ledger to, to exchange value. All of this is very powerful. And, you know, we think uh, it can really change the world and the way that people approach technology and the web. So with your company being a freedom based company, um, how much of it is mission driven? How much is it driven by just commercial interests? Are you personally now flipped to the point where you're just mission driven to, to bring freedom to the world? Well, for me, the why a company exists is 
uh, and if it's a for-profit company, it, it also has to be business. You know, I don't distinguish. I don't distinguish the two because actually business is good. Like you know, it's a it's a virtuous loop. Like if you don't do business, like you might have high morale, and you know, <laughs> but who gives a shit about you? Because yeah. you can't actually build the devices, you can't actually develop the technology, you can't actually make it great. So, I think for me, the why Ledger exists is to give freedom to people, and so the how we do it is through hardware wallets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, and we need to to make money and we need to make high margin, et cetera, to keep on investing into security with the dungeon, yeah. to keep on like investing into thinking about new devices, et cetera, et cetera. And so me personally, I hate the CEOs that are like, oh no, I'm all about the mission and you know, the business comes after. I'm like, but the business is part of the mission. Yeah. If you don't do business, like, you know, we're not philosophers, like we are business people uh, and we need to make business. And if it's a, and by the way, like, you know, I think it's a, I'll send it to you. It's a, I learned a lot from Nike and there's a book, great book called, um, by, uh, by Knight called Shoe Dog. Do you like my shoes today? So I do like your shoes. Yeah, these are Nikes. So I, I bought these recently. And uh, I went on holiday with my kids and my son forgot his trainers. So I had two pairs. He wore them the whole time. And everywhere he went, people were like, I like your trainers. And since I've worn them, not one person said it to me. But, but Shoe Dog is Bullshit. a great, <laughs> Shoe Dog is a great story. And, and so, and Nike at some point had a manifesto and they said, this is everything that we're going to do. I'll send you the manifesto, yeah. it's amazing. So they don't talk about making money. And at the end they say, and if we do all of this, We'll make a lot of money, <laughs> and and so this is I think about the business for Ledger. This is everything that we're going to do, and because and if it's great, then we'll make money. And so you know your mission is first, and the why the company exists I think is first. But then you know at the end, if you do the right thing, then you will make money because there's no way that you're going to be great and people are not going to want to pay for it. And I think it's important for the industry to have a well, not just one, actually multiple large manufacturers of the products. You you actually strangely need competition. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, uh, the competition right now is, is too weak. Like what's happening, you know, I've got a lot of respect for everyone, but what's happening is a bunch of teams are too mission-driven and not enough business-driven. Like It's all about like, you know, the, the powers to the maxis, et cetera. I mean, it's great, but like this is not business to consumer. Like in the end, like if you really want to help people, you need to have money to help them. But but it's not just in crypto. It's like in the world in general. People yeah. are like, oh no, but let's uh, let's do all these things, but 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 let's kill the business because business is bad. I'm like, no no no. But business is what fuels all the things that you want to do. So if you want the planet to be greener, cleaner, or you know, if you want to move away from fossil fuels and all those things, it's all good and well. But you better make money to do it because otherwise, no one is going to make it. When you travel the world and you see you know countries with less money. Are not as clean, not as efficient, et cetera, et cetera. So money, making money and driving the economy is good for everything. And so if we want freedom, we need money to achieve it. And Ledger is making good money, which is good. Ledger, is Ledger is making good money and we're reinvesting a lot. So, you know, people sometimes, you know, we're not greedy bastards. Like, you know, we try to do what's right. Um, and we try to build a great business and great business is a lot of investment. So all of this is a real virtuous cycle. Like if we make money, we reinvest the money that we're making. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only ever buying. Come on, we're hodlers. We're not sellers. I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I've been buying a lot of those recently. And I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are now also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. 
All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up is my new sponsors, the Texas Blockchain Council. Now, on November the 17th and 18th, the Texas Blockchain Council are putting on the Texas Blockchain Summit in Bitcoin country, Austin, Texas. Now, you know how much I love out there. I'm going to be attending. The event is two days of thought leadership for Bitcoin. Day one is all that any Texas Bitcoin miner could ask for. Top Bitcoin CEOs and their teams will be hanging out in Austin. And day two has top policy leaders from the US, both federal and state legislators, senators, House of Representatives, CFTC commissioners. What more could you ask for? Yes, I'm not just promoting this. I'll be attending the event in Austin, hanging out with my Texas Bitcoin buddies and interviewing someone very important on stage. So make sure you book your ticket, come to the event, let's hang out. To find out more, head over to texasblockchainsummit.org and use the discount code PETERMC20 for a 20% discount at checkout and let them know that I sent you. This offer is valid until the end of October. Next up, it is BCB Group. BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment services provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are expanding globally. They have an amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients and all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this like me. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Also, we have my new sponsor, Wasabi, who I will be now using to make sure my Bitcoin is private, and I'm very excited about using their software. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as the wallet has introduced privacy by default. Now, rather than having to choose to coin join, this can all be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. You also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi 2.0, so you don't leak your IP address. And there are no more minimum denominations, so you can coin join any amount, and there's no more change. So any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking more seriously recently. And with Wasabi 2.0, this has made it so much easier. So definitely go and check it out. If you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about while we're here is, have you been following what's been happening with Ethereum and the merge and Tornado Cash? Yes. You have. So I was in, uh, I was actually in one of your ledger spaces the other day with Dan Held discussing that. And Seth as well, no? Yeah, Seth as well. Yeah, it's a really good session. And um, so firstly, what do you make of uh, what happened with Tornado Cash? Well, you know, so Seth is our public policy guy. And uh, so if you if you guys connect to, to sort of what we did on the Twitter space and also Seth has a great uh, Twitter thread that he's done on this, uh, you know, very simply said, I mean, Tornado Cash could be a big problem because suddenly, you know, it's, it's sort of freedom of speech that is being banned, you know. Yeah. Um, open source code is freedom of speech. And so to start 
pointing at open source code and, you know, putting people in jail, et cetera, you know, for this, like it, it starts to be like a, a huge problem. I think, you know, there will be an uphill battle uh, on these topics because what we're doing with crypto is huge in terms of how it changes everything, you know, how it's now only mathematics, et cetera. So first of all, I think it's normal that, you know, sometimes the, the regulators will have like a very strong negative reaction first to something they don't control, don't understand, like, you know, don't want to see, et cetera. But, but this is why as an industry, as individuals, et cetera, we need to, we need to fight uh, because if uh, open source code becomes uh, punishable by law, then, you know, it's like free speech that is gone, basically. Mm. I wonder how enforceable it will be, though. And it has that chilling effect as well, in that developers will be thinking, well, could I be arrested for what I'm, this code I'm writing here today? So I didn't follow exactly, but this guy, the guy who got arrested in the Netherlands. Yeah. I mean, it's happening, no? Yeah. So, so if every developer in the world cannot be put in jail because they put like a piece of code on the internet, that's, uh, that's an issue. How do we fight it? Well, you know, first of all, I think we need to realize one thing is like, you know, most of these decisions are sort of ill-informed. And so I think there's a lot of education that needs to, to go on. Like we, we, we're trying to do it like in the US and Europe and with every legislator, regulator, government uh, that, that, that we can talk to. And most of the time what you find is people are really misinformed. Like, you know, they just read the headlines of Bitcoin is for terrorists. Yeah. Bitcoin is killing the planet because of, you know, this energy consumption and all of these things. And, 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 and for, for us, it sounds really stupid, but it is the truth for most people. Uh, and so, first of all, you need to debunk all these things, but but then it's a one-by-one one debunk. Like, you need to actually sit down, talk to people, et cetera, which we've done um, at the European level, typically recently with Seth. And, uh, and then you have two categories of people. You have the people that are ill-informed, and then when you explain to them what's happening and in good faith, et cetera, they do understand that change their mind. It's like, oh, okay, well, I didn't get it, so okay, but that's fine. You know, that, that we can do. Uh, and then you have the dogmatic people. And so the dogmatic people, then they are enemies. Like, you know, they just don't want freedom. They want to imprison people. They know what's best for you always. Like, you know, we will tell you what's best for you. They will make the law that, uh, you know, that you can't do barbecues anymore. Because I'm like, okay. Uh, and so, so you, you, need, you need to know who are your friends and who are your enemies. Like, and the, the enemies will need to find a way to, uh, to, to make them voice as small as possible uh, and or, you know, kill them with so much kindness uh, and good information that it's going to be very hard for them to debate otherwise. Uh, but, but I think it's, uh, uh, it's going to be a strong debate. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, a lot of discussion, uh, a lot of communication, et cetera, et cetera, and we all have a role to play. And so Ledger will play its part, but, uh, but, but the industry and people in general, people don't realize the power that they have. If you write to your deputy in France, if, you know, uh, to your representatives, like, you know, if all of us write to them as, uh, on every legislation that they need to pass, they change their mind pretty quickly because you know what, you vote for them. Do you think we need a little bit more coordination in Europe in that in the US we have Bitcoin Policy Institute, uh, we have Coin Center, actively well-funded groups of people who are, well, actually, I, I say actively well-funded, I, I know... Um, I know Coin Center is well-funded. I'm not sure how well-funded Bitcoin Policy Institute is, but there are people there who are actively working with regulators directly to educate them. And it's two, two, like, two well-established groups. 
We don't really have that in Europe. We certainly don't have it in the UK. And we've seen the legislation that has come in, in, well, attempted legislation that's come in from the European Parliament. I know Ledger is doing some of the work, but do you think we need our own version of this? Oh yeah, 100%, but SES is working on it. Yeah. Uh, And so we are, we've taken the leadership on this uh, in a constructive, sustainable, professional manner. There are a lot of people that do things, but usually it's a, it's a one shot or yeah. it's, it's sometimes, you know, it's about, um, you know, we're in a world of self-promotion and, you know, being on Twitter and, you know, being perceived as a, as a great human being. But we at Ledger, we are really trying to build for the long run in the future. And, you know, so in a bit of a selfless, uh, uh, way like you know, I don't care that Pascal Gauthier or you know, I, I do really care about my customers first. I do care about you know our you know the citizens. I do care about freedom, and so what we're trying to do is always, always around those lines. And so we test like we, we we decided that we were going to take on the challenge of building something for Europe, and that's what CES is doing. And so. We have a lot of traction right now. There are a bunch of people that will come around us uh, and we'll build something at the European level. Actually, Ledger uh, originated the ADAN in France, so the, the association that we have in France that's coming from a, a, a project that we had at Ledger, et cetera. We were very supportive of, of the ADAN and it's actually good that that we build this. But at the time when we built this, you know, my teams were working on it and I said to them, look, this is pointless. We shouldn't do it in France. We should do it at the European level. And so my team told me off and they were like, no, 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 we, we'll start with France and we'll do Europe after. Retrospectively, it was probably a mistake. We should have done it at the European level first, even though it's true that at that time, European companies were much smaller, etc. So sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, it takes time to do these things, but right now we're doing it. And Seth is the one, you know, spearheading this for us. He's got a lot of experience. He's a guy from DC. Uh, he's He's one of the top guys actually in, in, in DC to, to, to work on these things. And so the experience that he's built in the US is bringing that to Europe. So I think that's gonna be really good for the ecosystem. And the when you approach the regulators or those in the European parliament, is there an open door? Are they willing to listen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I said, like, you know, most people are willing to listen. Most people are okay to change their mind if you you know provide the evidence that it's actually, this is actually good and not as bad as they thought. But there is a lot of dogma uh, out there. Uh, the you know the people that are, for me, like you know the the the, the left and the extreme left, they are pretty much anti-freedom. They want to, and sometimes they don't even realize what they say. But they, they basically just want to control every aspect of our lives, and whether it's because of climate change or like you know any other issue that they see is happening, you know they just want to take decisions for people. Do you mean at, at the political level? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd push back a bit on that. Okay. A little bit on that. Um, I think there are, there are very good progressive people who, uh, yeah, have ideas around like the coordination of society. And because uh, I think like all governments control us in one way or another, whether it's the right or the left, they have rules, they have legislation, they have taxation. They, they do. They just have a different framework. I think there's some far left people have gone a bit crazy over the last few years who are kind of who have da- damaged the brand, for better, one of a better word, of the left. But um, I think we get control from the left and the right. So you're talking in general, I'm talking about Bitcoin specifically. Oh, Bitcoin. If you look at uh, uh, Mika or TFR in Europe, like the 
everything that was really negative towards crypto came from the yeah. left and the green. That's fair. Okay, so we're seeing that in the US as well. But but actually, there's some push pushback against that. So one of the things I've been act- actively doing, Pascal, is I've been trying to get uh, people from the left who are Bitcoiners on the show. So we recently had this guy, Jason Mayer, on who was fantastic. He's writing a book called A Progressive Case for Bitcoin. And it's 10 chapters dealing with all the FUD that comes from the left with regards to um, you know, anything to do with energy FUD. Or a really good one is wealth inequality, how actually Bitcoin is better for yeah. reducing wealth inequality. And I think what it is is because um, it's become a partisan issue for some people and they just get very bad advice. And sometimes that's even down to the journalists. Some of the stuff that's written by the journalists is absolutely terrible. But I'm actively pushing the pushing this and trying to introduce... Because I think the way to fight it is actually find the people from the left who are Bitcoiners, who have the real information and the real advice, who aren't anti-freedom, actually pro-freedom as well. No, I do, look, I agree with that 100%. But you, you said it, it's in the US. Well, I, I, now let's do the same in Europe and see and see how many people you find. Well, I find that, yeah, I'm finding very few pro like especially in the UK, left or right, and finding very few pro Bitcoin people. There's we just don't have anything. It's it's no, it's true. Dead. Like you know, left or right, you know, it's true that you know, there's a lot of education to do. But like from our experience, you know, you have those people that push hard on you know Mika to and, and, and TFR in Europe. Like you know, they're, they're really difficult to talk to. Okay, really difficult. Actually, get Aurore uh, Laluc on your show. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's see if she comes. Yeah. Because she's like the worst. Like you know, she hates Bitcoin. Like she's very. Uh, Dogmatic about it, etc. Uh, we tried to meet with her. She never agreed to a meeting, um, and so, and yet she kept on saying, you know, but oh, come and talk to me and you know, educate me, etc. But like when you try to control freak to, to to meet, like you know, she doesn't want to. But the reason is, you know, in in the US, like the politics in the US are very different. Like you mm-hmm. know, sometimes, you know, what's the real difference between you know Biden and uh, and Trump? Like you know, from an external point of view, like you know, for us, like the US politics is the US politics. Like they don't do really less war, they don't drop less bombs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there is a certain thing in the US where whether you're right or left, you know, there are certain things where you know some of these guys will always agree. In Europe, it's more polarized, like you know, and so and, and especially right now, you think. Oh, yes. Like in the right and the left right now in Europe are extremely polarized, I feel. Uh, and so, um, so, so, so it's interesting. Do you think that's maybe a more of a domestic issue here in France? Because I don't think, I don't, I'm traveling between the US and the UK. I actually think the US is more polarized right now. Well, okay, maybe my English is wrong here. Like polarized, not in the sense like, you know, I get that in the US, Democrats and Republicans right now hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I get that. But when I when I say polarized, it's more like in terms of uh, vastly opposite ideas of, of of what to do with the world. But it, but again, always on these topics, on the topic of like you know individual freedom versus state control. And I feel that right now in Europe, uh, the the in the the political agenda, like at the left, and especially because of climate change policies, etc. I mean, look at what's happening in in Holland right now. Yeah, it's terrible. Okay, so 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 it's not just France; it's like everywhere. And so, you know, through different climate change, mostly, but not just. Like you know, it's all about getting control over people and telling them what to do. <clears throat> In France, the other day, <clears throat> the debate is like: Should we ban private jets? <clears throat> should we ban swimming pools? Hold uh, on, how will they get around the people voting for it? Fly the play on the private jets. How do they get around what? How will how will Macron get around? Doesn't he fly on a private jet? 
<laughs> no, he, no, he'll get a pass. No, no, but Macron, Macron, apparently Macron said like, okay, you guys are crazy. You need to stop talking about these things. Like we will fly in private jets. So I don't think private jets are going away, but this is the debate that's happening in France. This is the debate that's happening in Europe, etc. If you look at the the, the the last elections in France, the last elections, uh, the, the next elections in Italy, or even what's happening in England, it's funny what's happening. Like people have a very strong reaction to to the social democrat policies, uh, Europe is a big socialist state. Huh? Mm -hmm. so, Agreed. Uh, this is why the UK left. Yeah, of course. Uh, Boris Johnson just got told off because, you know, after he left, he was sort of running with European policies. Uh, and your next prime minister is, I uh, can't remember her name. Oh, Liz, Liz Truss. Yes. She's fucking terrible as well. <laughs> but we don't have it. There's hardly anyone who's any good these days. No, it's, it's very difficult. First, politics is extremely difficult, etc. But my point is like, you know, in Europe, you can see that there is a swing towards the right right now. Like the Italians, the French recently at the Even last Even here, election. you need to have, was it Le Pen? Well, Le Pen with 80 or 89 seats at the parliament, yeah. etc. I mean, it's a fucking earthquake. Um, and so I think this is a strong reaction to people saying like, okay, we want more like of that individual freedom back and we're... We are annoyed by people telling us, you know, what what we need to do and what we'll have to do and not to do. And you can, and you can see where the both arguments are coming from, and you can see where people are voting, etc. So I would say, uh, Europe is polarized not so much in terms of the each side hating each other, which they do, but less than in the U.S. But yeah. more like in terms of the arguments that are being put, and more in terms of that argument of like individual freedom versus state control. So do you believe we're, we're our trajectory is towards a more individual freedom in Europe? And do you, th do you think France will have a Frexit? No, I don't. I mean, France having a Frexit, I don't, I don't think so. But then what do I know? Like, I'm not a politician. But I think, yes, I think, you know, people, especially with Bitcoin, uh, because, you know, Bitcoin then influences, it's not just money. I think it's more, it's, it's prof more profound. It's like it influences people, you know, the way yeah. they think about the world and the control that they know that they can have now. Uh, and so I think, you know, Bitcoin will be... Uh, an eye opener for many people to, you know, to try to vote towards more individual freedom. So some of this is happening right now. Uh, and I think, you know, but you're asking me about Europe and especially, specifically about crypto. I think that there are some people that can be convinced and some people that are just enemies of, of all of this. I like that. So they're either, they're either somebody we can work with and discuss or they're an enemy. Yeah. I like it. But mm. they are. All right, man. All right. What's coming off a of ledger? Tell me. Uh, look, there are many things that we've already done. So, you know, Ledger Market we launched in in July. It was a super success. Uh, we uh, we minted ten thousand passes that gives you, you know, uh, a good access to the marketplace, etc. We sold those in twenty four hours. Wow! <clears throat> Actually, it was the the best that has sort of ever happened on a drop or something like that. Like it was, it was really good. And so the first drop is, the first two drops are happening in September. The first one is with Brick. The second one I cannot tell, but like, so the marketplace is going to start to be uh, in action. And it's the only place uh, on earth where you can do a first drop in a secure manner. Like no, nowhere else you, you, you can do that. So, and the experience, uh, because security is good, but the ease of use is, is really beautiful. So I know it's not Bitcoin, it's a Bitcoin show. I know but anyone listening, they're going to be flaming you on <laughs> YouTube comments now. They're going to be hammering away. What the fuck is this crypto shit? Hey, look, you know, you know, do Bitcoin, but you know, sometimes you know, yeah. watch football, but sometimes you watch rugby, right? Um, no, no, I, mean, <laughs> no, I do, I do, I, I watch do actually a little watch. bit of rugby. I do. I you have good rugby down here in the south we of France. Have two, you have good rugby down here. Actually, you know what? Like, I prefer watching rugby than watching football these days. Wow. Okay. I watched uh, the last game. Was it uh, when I was in South Africa? So, you know, the 
the Bucks versus uh, New Zealand. It was pretty good. Like these well, guys. you were but actually after the game. No, no, no. I was oh, not was actually at say. the game. No, because they play everywhere in South Africa now. Oh, okay. like it's not just like in Joburg or whatever. They actually take it to, you know, sort of all around South Africa to create like a bucky type of street, which they do. Like, you know, people are very excited about rugby in South Africa, which is which is great. Um, anyway, so, but that, that's the thing. So ledger market is a thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, like there's so many things that we do. We just have a full roadmap. What I would tell people is like, you know, if you haven't checked ledger live in the past six months, because sometimes people use of the product, they buy and hold and they never check us out, which is wrong for two reasons. One, you should always upgrade your, your firmware, yeah. like always check that everything is good, etc. You know, your security is not something that you forget for two years. And when you come back, you're like, oh my God, like the thing has changed so much. And now I need to upgrade everything, et cetera, which can be a stressful experience. So I would say use your ledger from time to time just to upgrade things, to check if everything is all right, et cetera. And that's one thing. And two, you know, check what we've done with Ledger Live. Like ledger Live is probably the best wallet, um, as in the wallet interface, the best wallet in the space right now. You have everything, you know, you, you, even if you're Bitcoin only, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great experience. If you have more than Bitcoin, uh, you know, we have this... Um, this app store now, like you have an app store inside Ledger Live where you can find like so many projects. Uh, and we've developed everything as an open platform so people can connect to it. So people should really check it out just to see what's out there, what can connect to their coins, how can they use their coins, et cetera, because it's all about usage, right? Like, you know, you can buy and hold forever, which is cool. And if you want to do that, still, you know, uh, upgrade your firmware from time to time. However, maybe sometimes you want to, you know, you want to buy something with with your coins, or you want to you know participate in something, or you want to transfer, or whatever you want to do. But there are many apps right now. You want to pay your taxes, for example. There is a great app to pay your taxes within uh, within Ledger Life. Really? Yes. <laughs> All right, I'll take a look at that. Well, listen, Pascal, um, we will get you over to the football. We'll get you to go and see Bedford. We'll change your view on it. It's better than Bedford Rugby. And uh, I appreciate all your support. Uh, I've been a Ledger customer since 2017. Love the product. I love working with the company and love everything you do. And um, yeah, I'll be checking out this uh, issue with Software Wallet. So appreciate you letting me know about that. Good luck here at the conference. And yeah, appreciate talking to you. Merci, Peter. Et merci, merci. d'être venu jusqu'à Biarritz pour me rencontrer. Agreed. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> all right thank you for listening to what bitcoin did i hope you enjoyed this interview with pascal as i said i, I plan to go and make this show to talk about how businesses plan for the kind of hyper volatile nature of the bitcoin market but we ended up getting into all this interesting security stuff as well with regards to bitcoin and hot wallets so if you listen to this if you're a technical person if you've gone through the ledger documents you want to talk about this further definitely reach out to me reach out to danny we want to talk to you i want to know more about this there are links in the show notes specifically for the ledger article so definitely go and check that out it is friday football is back tomorrow i know not all of you you like football but I do and I have a football team and we haven't had a game for 11 days so I'm excited to get back out there we're away to Holmer Green we've actually got four games in the next two weeks it's going to be a pivotal part of our season we've won every game so far hopefully that will continue through to the end of the month all right love you all have a great weekend if you want to reach out to me it's hello at whatbitcoindid.com look forward to hearing from you and I will see you all next week <laughs>